राजीव मल्होत्रा सर आई बिन वेटिंग फॉर दिस पॉडकास्ट थैंक यू फॉर बीइंग ऑन द रणवीर शो माय ऑनर आई एम डिलाइटेड टू बी हियर सर हाउ इज इट गोइंग हाउ आर यू चल रहा है लाइफ इज लाइफ गोस ऑन एंड यू नो आई एम रिकवरिंग फ्रॉम सम इलनेस आई डोंट वांट टू गेट टू पर्सनल बट आई एम डिलाइटेड टू बी हियर ऑन योर शो आई हैव हर्ड सो मच अबाउट यू अप्रिशिएटेड व्हाट यू डू and so this is a good opportunity for me to also share my life my ideas so i think the show had begun with this intention of taking ideas wisdom out to the world that's why we had begun this podcast in the first place very rarely do i have a guest where i am myself i'm slightly confused about where to begin you know because you know so much about so many topics weird geopolitics history ai uh what would you say is your life subject and i'll ask i'll tell you why i ask you this because i strongly believe that while everyone's sort of a polymath nowadays even the best polymaths have one subject which is their favorite above the others it's so what is your subject it's a brilliant question very uh, good good place to start i'm very happy so my one quest since i was a kid uh, early teens maybe even earlier has been a very philosophical discovery of the nature of the self the nature of the universe uh, uh, and my place in it and hence what should be my life's mission uh, what am i supposed to do i i was a philosophical contemplative person as a young child i read a lot i read so many philosophies very at a very early age and you know this this quest of uh, uh, discovery Uh, led me to philosophy then it led me to the physics i became a physicist for the sole purpose of understanding philosophy both uh, through a scientific lens and of course very deeply uh, interested in reading and understanding the vedic traditions the buddhist tradition the jain tradition uh, and other and christianity judeo christianity uh, western philosophy so my quest for knowledge about the higher levels of existence beyond just mundane uh, has been the primary uh, purpose of my life primary objective i i achieved a lot in business i quit all that in order to pursue this and and i keep pursuing this and when i run out of uh, when i feel that my pursuit is wrong or pursuit is limited or reached a dead end i i reset uh, many times in my life i have reset and reinvented myself in order to continue this pursuit so the pursuit mm. is the same but how i'm doing it with whom i'm doing it how i've defined myself keeps in uh, changing uh, in order to optimize this particular pursuit and the pursuit is not just for intellectual and academic interest of knowledge and writing books but i want to guide my life with it i want to use this uh, uh, this knowledge of the ultimate reality to understand geopolitics to understand the world to understand india to understand america how do they fit into this cosmic game if there's a cosmic game where do we all fit in why are we here what are we supposed to do what are the rules of the game and uh, this is very interesting this is a game where there is no uh, there is no user manual uh, you can't say ke user manual is me these are the rules and you you do this and that uh, every game that uh, humans have invented we have some kind of a guide and there's some headquarters you can go and challenge uh, there is no such thing yet we know that we are supposed to do certain things we're not supposed to do certain things uh, but there is no headquarters where you can go and uh, make a petition or have a hearing or uh, 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 hold someone to responsible to explain it to us uh, so the uh, interesting thing is we're supposed to figure out the rules 
that is part of the game that we're supposed to figure it out. So I find this life and existence to be a fascinating topic and I've devoted much of my life to its pursuit. So, um, so funny that you talk about the pursuit of life and you know, the pursuit of purpose almost. We had someone called Gaur Gauranga Das Prabhuji on the show. Uh, he's a monk from the ISKCON order. And he spoke about how life's purpose in many ways is the moment of death. You know, like how everything leads up to that one moment and then there's a new beginning. So keeping that concept in mind, it's a direct question to you. Uh, again, I'm not, and this is not a direct question to your knowledge. It's a direct question to you, the man. Do you think of your own death ever? Because it's something I have been thinking about a lot after that particular episode. Well, you know, there is something called death meditation. Death meditation is a type of meditation in Buddhism. I have been in it for several big, several big courses. Uh, it's also, it's also in Shaivism. And death meditation is where you achieve such stillness of the body and then stillness of the mind, stillness of the emotions, but you are alert and you're witnessing yourself. And in that state of heightened witness, without involvement, without emotion, without feeling, you suddenly see a, a, a sort of silencing and stopping. You imagine the stopping of the body, the stopping of the mind, the stopping. So each layer of existence, one by one, you kind of do, it's a stimulation of death. And, and uh, you achieve perfect stillness uh, of all, at all levels, but the consciousness is alert, but still. Now, when you practice that, and the Buddhists practice it, so that when they are dying, it's not a very traumatic experience. It is not mm. something you're afraid of because you felt it before already. And it's a very spontaneous transition to another, another state of existence. So I have, I have no fear of death. I mean, I'll be very afraid, very straight with you. I have no fear of death. I don't want pain, bodily pain, but I have no fear of what happens, where I go and all that. I mean, I'm quite relaxed about, uh, about uh, the death uh, challenge, uh, that, uh, the death trauma that everybody faces. And I'm interested having experienced this higher uh, existence, it's thanks to a guru, that I, the, my guru in the 90s, uh, which is what led me to change my whole life, give up all my businesses and industry and pursue this. Thanks to that experience I was given, uh, now from that experience of uh, existence, I, I want, I'm re-entering the, the world of Vyavarika, a mundane world where there's fighting going on, there's a Kurukshetra, there's good guys and bad guys, and there's all kind of uh, social responsibility, all kind of geopolitics. I look at all of this through a certain lens, and, through, and that lens you achieve you 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 attain when you have actually had this kind of a transformational experience so that is that is how i am looking at the world how are you looking at the world could you explain it a little deeper keeping modern day geopolitics in mind because we talk a lot about i mean at least the youth talks a lot about world war 3 that how it's going to be based on cyber warfare how it's already begun how the pandemic is probably a version of world war 3 so, sir, when this whole pandemic broke out, you know, when December 2019 was happening, what was in your head, considering the fact that you had already, I'm guessing you had already learned a lot by that point. So maybe you anticipated it. Maybe you know what's coming. What do you think is happening in the world right now, sir? So I think that uh, if you look at the cosmology, uh, the, the, the whole cosmic game, uh, you know, in that Bharat has a very special role. You know, I'm looking at from our lens. 
but bharat has not honored that role it is not performing that role it is not capable of performing that role it is very highly polluted corrupted from bottom to top we can talk about it i'm very disillusioned with the caliber uh, uh, you know of, of indian institutions indian whether it is this government or old government uh, generally generally the the what you expect of a tradition which is the rashtra that is supposed to lead the world forward the vishwa guru the world is not being led by uh, bharat vishwa guru at all so that is one thing you have to put aside you cannot look at the world and say okay we are vishwa guru that is how we look at geopolitics not the case it ought to be the case but what ought to be is not necessarily what is so if you look at a very in a very pragmatic way india is in trouble forget being vishwa guru india is in trouble for its own existence and and this is where the the revolution of artificial intelligence is going to push it forward faster uh the the you know india was sort of hodgepodge we are doing very well then we take a step back then we take a step forward but you know what has happened is the best way to understand what is happening with ai is to see what happened with the industrial revolution couple hundred years ago when britain started taking factories and electrifying them uh, which the manual factories were not able to keep up with and this uh, industrial revolution of britain made it into a world power allowed it to uh, colonize advanced advanced civilization like india and then france also became uh, joined the industrial revolution the two of them were competing they were at war with each other but each of them becoming highly industrialized and and using that to colonize other continents so entire world history for a couple of hundred years has been was influenced by the the technological breakthrough called the industrial revolution so what is now happening is another industrial revolution the ai is the considered the new industrial revolution it is going to change the world politics into haves and have nots just like the previous industrial revolution britain and france became the haves the powerful countries all others became colonized became uh, you know uh, have nots and uh, became ruled now i think you will find the same thing usa and china are equivalent to the britain and uh, france in the sense that they are the duopoly competing against each other in a cold war maybe there'll be a hot war also just like britain and france had but while fighting each other they are also fighting over who gets what colonies so uh, us has its sphere of influence china has its sphere of influence not only pakistan but pretty much all of africa and many other places china has captured so uh, if you i see the the geopolitics today as the beginning of a new industrial revolution uh we are in the in this de- in this decade uh, as much is happening with ai revolution as happened in 30 40 years of the industrial revolution when it's because the speed of change is faster so mm. uh, so you know what is going to happen is us and china are going to kind of uh, uh while you know attention with each other they're going to also carve out much of the world and where does that leave india is a very disturbing uh, thought Uh, because uh, besides us and china at the top uh, there are other t- other societies other uh, uh, civilizations that will be able to defend themselves they won't be world powers you know like japan like uh, uh, like israel like russia uh, like uh, eu i mean they're not going to run the world and control the world like at the top tier but at the next second tier they are certainly able to survive they they have enough to be able to survive india is not only absent in the top tier of us and china india is also not in the second tier where it's it's strong enough to survive so india has why why what is that uh, due to 
that is due to the fact that there are breaking india forces within india india has the worst kind of internal internal breaking forces america doesn't have breaking america forces japan doesn't have breaking japan forces china china takes uh, they, they don't tolerate any breaking china forces they may have but they don't tolerate so you know india is the only big big country with such a large amount of energy spent on just keeping it together and these forces that are internal uh, some of them give their their allegiance to the middle east as a religion some of them give it to europe or vatican or somewhere for allegiance some of them give it to the left wing human rights which come out of usa and europe and they those are the mahabap intellectual mahabap and they are being mm -hmm. they are driving the show in india so india has multiple foreign nexuses and that is what i wrote in my book breaking india which is like a, a, over a decade old now uh that book became very important and a lot of people got their inspiration from that book breaking india which explained how these the the breaking india at the physical level of violence and insurrection and uh, separatism happens later but before what happens is the intellectual breakup the emotional breakup ki we are part not part of the india we are part of this community and india has suppressed us india has abused us india is the reason mm. we are poor the reason the so whether it is um, a minority religion whether it is a minority caste uh, whether it is men versus women uh, whether it is urban india versus rural india whatever the divisiveness might be this divisiveness is being manipulated from foreign nexuses so that linkage i did after many years of study of those foreign links nexuses i went to their headquarters in usa i went to their headquarters in europe i just did a lot of that investigative work forensic work and i published it in a large book but uh, uh, even though the book is 700 pages 675600 pages the point is that i have thousands of pages of backup documents on what these guys are up to now 10 years later that whole breaking india scenario is upgraded india hasn't uh, caught up with these people but they have moved to a next level we talk about george soros is doing this and x and y are doing this i have uh, in this ai work i have been tracking large number of such people george soros being only just one of many but there are many even worse dangerous ones and their activities within india through their influence through their the, the people they are funding uh, through the leaders they are cultivating they are taking the in, breaking india to another level uh, and this is very very dangerous uh, so i this is why i am writing uh, about the ai revolution and its special threat to india hmm uh history repeats itself so and in the same way that divide and rule brought us down once i think we're at the brink of divide and rule bringing us down again but say if you had to look at it with an optimistic mindset uh can we undo this divide and rule mentality somehow or is the pandemic undoing it is it bringing us all back together what do you think is happening because i still want to look at it with a positive mindset and ask myself that what is the solution to this problem how do we actually take india at least to that second rung if not the first rung excellent excellent uh, so you know the uh, understanding the problem the whole purpose is then to lead to what to do about it uh, solutions so one of the things we have to do is defensive and then offensive the two two part to it so as far as defensive is concerned the ai revolution uh, you know ai requires two uh, two ingredients it requires several ingredients like semiconductors and all that which we are not good at 
but two of the ingredients india has a lot india should control one is the brain power of the ai programmers the software people and india is exporting raw talent rather than using them to build our own intellectual property rather than building our own patents and our own technology that becomes indian made in india technology that we can export what we are doing is selling raw brains so sundar pichai is great guy but he's not working for india he's working for google and google may well be like the east india company in fact i have a chapter a section called the, the return of the east india company so wow some of these some of these mega businesses that are so powerful they are beyond the control of governments they are not only fighting the indian government they are fighting the us government the european union and so the governments versus private industry has become a big story indians don't know about indians feel ke if we complain about twitter to pata nahi kya ho jayega but twitter is under inquiry there are lawsuits against google against facebook there are antitrust cases in the us to break them up in europe also so you know one of the things that india has to do on the offensive is to monitor these groups their use of data uh, their use of data is what allows the ai algorithms to become smart because without the data the algorithms cannot learn it's like you know a child needs to learn how things work in this house by looking at examples by watching people by looking at the reaction and and understanding how how the behavior is and being able to predict so the same way the machine learning happens by looking at a lot of examples of indian people's behavior who is right wing who is left wing who fights whom who can be made to fight somebody who can be made into a separatist who can be made into a punjab farmer that will be opposed to the government you know so they are monitoring and keeping track of individual profiles so they have a profile on anubhi they have a profile on rajiv they have a profile on uh, Uh, you know sonia gandhi on uh, modi all these kind of things and they are ma- looking at not only your social media footprint but your gmail your emails your messages to each other uh, what you buy your orders online uh, you know, this eavesdropping and this surveillance is so sophisticated and this is feeding the artificial intelligence models to map your brain and your thinking so this india can stop india can uh, uh, the 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 government that is furthest ahead in doing this is eu and india can learn from eu india is doing some of these things lip service there is a lot of debate a lot of discussion some laws have been enacted very little being enforced and i have written a lot about how our people are actually selling out a uh, lot of niti ayog documents niti ayog plans are actually drafted by google imagine it's like the raja inviting the east india company to draft his strategy saying ki aap hi maa baap hain aap hi ko jyada pata hai aap hi you know how to govern you know how you are more civilized and more sophisticated and you have all this industrial technology so you only draft a plan on how to uh, how to uh, run my kingdom so you know the way the east india company was outsourcing uh, had been outsourced the operation of the governments by many uh, kings uh, you are finding that uh, some of these modern uh, ai companies are beginning to take over not only simple things like messaging and whom you like and whom you don't like but they are figuring out what you will speak on covid what you are allowed to speak what you are not allowed to speak uh, you know more than 50% of the videos i put up and i put up two videos a week and we have a pipeline with lot of them recorded more than 50% of the videos i put up get flagged as politically controversial politically sensitive by these guys 
and then my team has to go fight them and escalate it and get them to change it by then we've lost the momentum and the reason they're doing it is on purpose because there is a bias built into these uh, these uh, international organizations that are doing all this mischief so first india rather than exporting raw brains to these people and these people use indian brains to develop uh, intellectual property patents a lot of technology which they then export back to india they export all this back to india and we pay so much royalty so much money to buy these guys uh, buy their products and it is these companies that are worth trillions of dollars trillions of dollars today uh, unprecedented it's because of indian brains indian brains have helped google facebook microsoft twitter you know uh, apple uh, google uh, indian brains have helped the us defense department so many defense contractors got indian brains indian brains in nasa in ibm and you will find that when india buys the rafael jet why it buys the rafael jet because it's got this technology of uh, multiple targets and it can do the job of 50 pilots sitting with only one pilot actually being needed to do the job of 50 it's doing all of that with the technology a lot of it is ai technology but when you go there and look at who's developing all this technology you'll find a lot of indians here so you know hamare jo brains hain we are those are not being used for india they they are on a personal level they're making good money i'm very proud and very happy for sundar pichai but don't think he's helping india don't think that he is a sign of indian technology he is a sign of american technology he's part of the system he is invested in it they're making him into a rich guy famous guy and having an indian face in front is a very convenient thing it's a very convenient thing so so you know these are these are sort of a new this is a new kind of colonization going on which indians need to understand because we don't know how this colonization works and we think it's actually good for us because they've hired some of our people so that is one thing india can end is just giving away all its talent rather than creating projects in india which, which indians can follow second is data uh, the second thing that ai needs without which ai cannot function is data called they call it big data which means that you go to kumbh mela and you can do surveillance on tens of millions of people what jati where they're from what is their social demographic uh, do they feel exploited who likes whom who hates whom building a very complex map of social map of political problems tensions with each other religious tensions with each other and building this map of our such a huge part of india all of all the districts and villages are represented in kumbh mela so that's like an example of how big data is being gathered big data is being gathered by these people based on looking at uh, the financial uh, you know all the financial information in india is being monitored by uh, american companies that are looking at credit rating credit rate your credit rating is in the hands of uh, uh, american companies so they know all your transactions and they know your vulnerabilities they know whether you are a person that can be bribed because you got a problem or whether you are against somebody whether you are whether you are fond of somebody because they maybe they've given you a loan so the big data the big data uh, is financial it is transactional based on what you are buying and selling it is messages that uh, social media messages it's the videos what you like what you don't like it's all your behavior uh, not only online but even offline a lot of eavesdropping going on so india should on uh, first of all india should uh stop this uh, you know uh, export of uh, raw brains that go in and and big data that is then used to create ai sophisticated products and technologies 
which India then has to buy at a huge price. So this is a very uh, solid thing. Then later I can discuss, uh, if you're interested, what are the positive projects India should do? What are the projects, besides saying we're going to stop them, okay, but what should we do? What should we do with our big data? What should we do with the lacks of talented people which we're not doing today? So those are some of the ideas that I want to bring out and I'm bringing out a second volume and a third volume on my AI. I'm so glad you're bringing up uh, big data. It's one of those topics I've been dying to bring up on the show for a while. Uh, I also read somewhere that whoever controls the algorithm is actually controlling the power structure in the world. And many, yes, yeah, many of the world's governments don't even understand this completely because possibly the people who are running the governments aren't honestly, I mean, for lack of a better way to put it, they are not tech savvy. So they're not kind of forcing how the power is actually going to shift to these privately owned organizations like Google, Amazon, Facebook, etc. And you know, while we shit all over China, there is some stuff to admire that country for which is that they probably for they were able to see the future a little bit, maybe in the nineties, the two thousands, they were able to predict that this will happen. Therefore they didn't allow a Google and a Facebook to establish itself in China. And they had their own government controlled, uh, websites and companies. Perfect. Perfect. So, so, uh, I've written a lot on this also, you know, Indian outsourcing was good, a good way to create a middle class by renting brains. Mm. But China also did uh, created its middle class by renting cheap factory labor. Cheap fa- they did manufacturing cheap factory labor. Big difference is China decided that between 25% and 50% of all the profits made by renting out cheap factory labor, all of that money should be reinvested in Chinese own technology to compete against the Americans. So they would copy the American uh, who set up a factory there. They would copy this idea and they would create their own technology and they would invest the profits they're making to, to, to build their own technology for the future. Now, Indian TCS should have done that. You know, this uh, Infosys should have done that. Uh, uh, all these companies that made tons of money, they just took that money and allowed it and made good share price and a lot of people made money. Suppose 50% or let's say even 25% or let's say even 10, 15% of all the billions of dollars that the Indian software exporters made, Suppose way back from the 90s, they had been putting it into a fund to invest in future technologies, futurist technology. See, China, because they did it now, China is number one in many parts of AI. And in some parts, they are number two to the US. They are number one in solar panels. They are number one in robotics. You know, they have more robots than uh, any other country. They have more solar panel market share than anyone else. They're catching up with US in uh, semiconductors. Uh, If you look at... uh, avionics. If you look at so many fields and AI means a collect cluster of technologies, it's not just one technology. There is a pure AI, but it is connected with all these other technologies. And that's the way I use the term. So if you look at their eight or 10 major technologies that are under this AI umbrella, China invested in all of them. They made very good bets. You know, these are, these are, this is where government vision is needed. You bring government and industry together. You bring your industrialists in line and tell them, okay, you can all make a lot of money, but this is what you got to do. So the rules of the big game were made by the Chinese that, okay, we will send our students to America. And when the difference between uh, Chinese students and Indian students coming to America is 90, some 95% of the Chinese students go back and Indian students, most of them stay. So as an individual, India is Indian is doing well. 
Uh, Chinese is more doing uh, well as a collective, as a, as a rashtra, they are doing much better. Indians have more, a lot of billionaires here, they are both famous hoge log. In every field, Indians are doing very well, but that is not helping India as a nation. So China did what you are saying. Uh, they got the benefit of uh, outsourcing and quick, easy money, but they also reinvested long term. They did not just do short term jugaad. I think the Indians got stuck in short term jugaad. Quarterly profit, annual profit, so they didn't think I'm going to sacrifice short term profit because we're doing well. I'll sacrifice a little bit of short term profit and put it into long term research. And India didn't do that. So India does not have the technologies. And yet India has all the talent. If you ask India, okay, now where is such and such? Where is there something called GPT-3, which is an AI technology? And there are GPT lookalikes, three or four competing, uh, you know, products like that. China is making its own. US has some. US government, Defense Department is making its own. India doesn't have anything like that. So when you say, where is our GPT-3 uh, technology? They will name individuals who are smart. But then those individuals are working for Microsoft. They are working for they are working for those those foreign outfits. You can't you can't say that that belongs even in India. Most patents that are being filed in this kind of technology are being filed by Microsoft India, Google India. It is the it is the Western people who have set up shop in India to, uh, to leverage the Indian brain. And and we are very happy that those jobs create No problem. But every place where there is a Microsoft India, China may uske bagal may unone apna vivish lagadiya their own or wo wahase knowledge nikalkar they are creating their own. So we don't have to do it dishonestly. We could do it honestly also, but uh, we have we have not wanted to do that because that's long term. That is uh, th you know investing in investing in technology and intellectual property. Kya fayda ham Americans se le lenge whatever the Americans give us we'll take it. That kind of mentality of dependence uh, is not good. And you mentioned that uh, the American, uh, uh, these uh, technology companies are becoming too powerful. I would, I would point out the American government has a parallel in the defense department. There's something called DARPA, Defense Advanced Research Project Agency. DARPA is the inventor of internet. What it used to be called DARPA net then became internet. DARPA has invented fiber optics. They, they were responsible for Bell Labs, uh, semiconductors inventing the transistor. So DARPA has invented so many technologies uh, and, and now in AI and all these new things, these private companies are doing it, but American government, Defense Department, CIA, they are also into this. And the Chinese are into it. Chinese are into it in a very big way. The uh, Chinese actually are also building the biggest, the, uh, the biggest data, big data, on genetics, on every individual genetics, uh, Indian genetics of this culture, that, of this group, that group, African, every village, in, you know, all this genetic mapping, which allows them, which allows them not to make diseases which are customized for a certain type of gene. It will, the disease will not affect people in general, but affect people of this gene, or it will affect everybody, but protect the people of this gene. This kind of genetic warfare, and then solutions based on based on genetics coming up with solutions to medical problems. China is at a, is at the cutting edge of building a, a map of the human genetics by country, by 
by you know type of people race whatever so so this is where india is not a player and yeah. india needs um, to become a player because hamare paas hamare paas brains hain aur hamare paas we have data like nobody because we have so much diversity we have genetic diversity we have cultural diversity uh, you know people are taking our our not our data and making things out of it we ought to be doing that so i think the positive solution would be government should say okay all the tech companies you should start putting away 10% into high into futurist technologies after five after three years you will be required to put away 20% and maybe thereafter we will make it like 30% so you sacrifice your short term profit so what on uh, uh, sensex if you are not always doing great but uh, you will be still doing very well but a certain amount of your profit will go into futuristic things and maybe these futuristic things government should give them a tax break maybe government should say you'll have a tax holiday for 10 years you you invest your profit in these list of technologies they give a list these are sensitive to national security these should not be in foreign hands these should be in our hands government should do that and then government should say we'll procure from india make in india we'll procure why right now government is inviting all these foreign digital giants american companies to build their strategy because government doesn't know if niti ayog has to put, uh, tell the prime minister what should be the strategy and they don't know what to do they'll call their friend in google and say arjha bhaiya humko bacha do and google will say acha bacha denge you do me a favor i'll do you a favor so what is happening is that india is indirectly almost sold out in, uh, it's at the intellectual level this is not very good yep uh, i think the big problem that encapsulates everything you said pretty much is indian brain drain Uh, and brain drain is a bigger problem now than it's ever been uh if there's even 10 kids who are listening to this or contemplating going abroad 10 really smart kids who are contemplating going abroad and then they change their mind because of this podcast i feel the job will be done uh stay back build here uh i also remember being pissed off at the concept of brain drain in college over time i kind of made peace with it because i realized everyone has their own journeys but now once i've learned geopolitics i'm starting to get a little upset about the concept of brain drain again because i feel like indian families celebrate job placements and stable stability and um, you know just good salaries way more than they should celebrate being able to create jobs and being able to go aggressive in your own career and being able to chase instability you know seek discomfort as the internet calls it indian families should start celebrating these concepts and then you'll see a reduction in brain drain stop celebrating the fact that some indian has become a ceo in some foreign company and start celebrating the fact that oh wow here's zerodha a bootstrapped indian company which has made it big here's kunal chas cred which is his second company after free charge celebrate indian entrepreneurs more and change culture that way that's that's what i believe will be a part of the solution but so i also believe that there are a lot of young indian kids in cities who are now not looking at okay i've done my engineering now i'm going to go to usa to study the kind of thinking of the country as a whole again good i am very happy to know that uh, and i do know that and some of them write to me call me and they want to be mentored they want ideas and i'm always there uh, this needs to be supported by big investments so you know mm. the thing is this venture capital if you look at venture capital in india for these ultimate tech, these high technology companies majority of the indian venture capital going into things like ai comes from chinese and american venture capital firms chinese have been blocked to some extent not entirely they are still operating 
through Middle East and through Singapore indirectly they're operating. But most of many of the new investments have been stopped. Old investments continue. But and the Americans are very active in uh, bringing all their uh, venture capital skills. So the company may be an Indian entrepreneur, but Joe investor have or they, is a, is a, you know Kleiner uh, Perkins from uh, America or some big uh, venture capital firm, whatever. Uh, the point is that ultimately uh, they will they are buying him out. He, his his dream is to his dream is to build a company where his shares will be worth hundred million and the venture capitalists will buy him out or Google will buy him out. Lot of Indian companies which are run by Indian entrepreneurs in India, the venture money comes from either private uh, firms of the United States or somewhere else, or from venture capital firms, international banks and so on. Now, why isn't India able to put its own venture capital? It is not, we're not talking about thousands of crores. I mean, we, 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 yes, we are talking about some thousands of crores, big projects also, but we're also talking about uh, in the hundreds of crores, uh, little ventures. These, you know, India should create a very large number of uh, local uh, sources of funding. Why don't states do that? Central government state They could take a certain amount of state funding. Uh, they could do some some way to raise some funds and uh, make it available to these entrepreneurs. The kind of people you are talking about, I'm very proud of them. Young people who want to do this, but they need help, and they they need financial help. They need to they need to be first of all. You see, first of all, they need to be mega projects. Jaise ISRO. Okay, we are going to put, uh, so we are going to be uh, among the top two or three in the world in putting up satellites uh, in, and in doing this, that, that, that. Uh, you know, and then uh, you look at an example like John F. Kennedy said in, uh, early, in the early 60s that by the end of this decade, we'll put a man on the moon. Actually, USA did not have a program to do any such thing. They had mm. no program. They had their whole goal at that time when he said it was to uh, go into orbit only. But he set that goal. And sure enough, by the end of the decade, Americans walked on the moon. So, you know, you put these big challenges. So India needs to take a challenge and say, okay, we are going to create the, a competitor to GPT-3. And that's a technical thing. I don't, I mean, we can discuss some other time. But we are going to create a competitor to GPT-3, which is at least as good, maybe so many times better. And we are going to do it in three years or, or five years. So they should set goals like that. And this requires so many billion dollars. We're going to create a team. Come join us. This is like the equivalent of the American space program. Mm. What is called now, nowadays is called the moonshot, which means that a moonshot is something where, you know, you're, you're, you're going after the moon. And this is such a high target. Even if you did not succeed in the process of doing it, many, many inventions will be made. You know, yeah. when America had this moonshot, that is how they miniaturized and came up with semiconductors. All the semiconductors you have today, which is miniaturizing on and on. The American space program did a lot of that. American space program created many spin-off technologies, which are now the world uh, whole tech, tech system is, you know, would be impossible without those technologies. So when you yeah. do, a, India needs to do its moonshot. India needs to have three or four, and I have project ideas, then India needs to have a few moonshot scale technology projects to capture the imagination of its young people, give a huge amount of funding, and the benefits of uh, intellectual property that will come 
इट विल टेक फाइव टू टेन ईयर्स इट इज नॉट नेक्स्ट इलेक्शन का फायदा नहीं होगा बट इट बेनिफिट यू विल गेट बाय द एंड ऑफ दिस डेकेट विल बी ह्यूज इंडिया नीड्स टू डू दैट आई डू नॉट सी दैट विजन द ओनली कम्युनिटी इन इंडिया एंड आई हैव टॉक टू ऑल काइंड ऑफ पीपल इन द कॉन्टेक्स्ट ऑफ माय बुक द ओनली कम्युनिटी इन इंडिया व्हिच अंडरस्टैंड्स दिस स्ट्रेटजिक थिंकिंग आर द डिफेंस पीपल आई फील वेरी हैप्पी व्हेन आई टॉक टू नेवी पीपल आर्मी पीपल एयर फोर्स पीपल दे गेट इट लाइक दैट because you know they're very practical and they see what's happening in the world they get it that we you know we we better uh, we better do our own uh, uh, technologies we can't just go on buying rafael type things forever and ever because costing more and more money you know you look at the cost per mig mig 21 then it went to mirage then it went to you know all these other jaguar mirage all these kind of things we bought ab karte karte you know final one is uh, rafael you know it's a it's many many orders of magnitude more cost per plane you'll be surprised if you look at what was the cost per plane for mig and then mirage and then jaguar and then whatever whatever you look at all of them and you will see the cost per plane is going up 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 it is going up faster than than gdp is going up so you know india's india's having to put out more and more sacrifice to get a small number of planes with the money we could get hundreds of migs you know and dozens of other other uh, planes afterwards we can get only chota mota few uh, rafiels but we need them because otherwise we'll be finished so for mm-hmm. india's survival uh, in, in both external threat and internal threats from uh, breaking india forces india has to struggle very hard and i don't see enough uh, people really understanding the brink of uh serious problems that india is on right now yeah um again at its core so i believe it's a matter of leadership and direction yes. you need a core of 100 really really motivated visionary people uh and we see that you know with the young corporate leaders of the country i have a, a friend called mr ashok ramchand he's a mentor to me i have another mentor called uh, mrs radhika gupta she's at edelweiss uh i see the way these people think versus Say an older CEO in the country, and the thinking is different. Age sixty versus age forty, Indian, the thinking is different. Age forty versus age twenty-eight, which is my age, I see the thinking is different. And then when I compare people my age to the Gen Zs, the eighteen, nineteen-year-olds, uh, I won't say that they're completely motivated and driven yet, but a lot of that potential is there. They're very intelligent and they're able to understand what's happening, and they have a world view. So I feel the Gen Z of India actually holds the keys. you know the kids who are in college listening to this podcast now absorbing all this information when they are out in the real world as professionals they will understand the concept of venture capital better they'll understand the concepts of geopolitics better yes so that's my big hope sir uh, i still feel we are going in a good direction overall as a nation in terms of intellect uh, you know again the beautiful thing is yes our education system is highly criticized but we're still smart people and now we're starting to learn from the internet hopefully from podcasts like this one sir so, so overall yeah yeah no no theek aap theek keh rahe overall what you're saying is the the brains younger people got better they're smarter yeah. at it uh, and and they're getting into power at a younger younger age this is very uh, encouraging uh, but i have a few comments on this my comment sure. one comment is that india spends too much time and energy on politics of elections so the mm. people in government so first of all the ministers are political appointees they are not subject matter expert koi agriculture mm-hmm. minister ban gaya koi railway ban gaya 
these guys don't really know that industry. Pehle, mm. somebody may have been agriculture minister, to defense minister ban gaya ya koi home minister ban gaya. They're just swinging around like like the ministries. Uh, anybody can uh, any any politician can run a ministry. What happens then is that the IAS babus are really running the show because the IAS babu has been in their ministry all his life. And even he may not be a subject matter expert. He may be in some ministry without being uh, technically qualified. But at least he's, uh, he's there. He knows the bureaucracy. These IS guys got their own ecosystem. Uh, and and, and they, it's very difficult to uh, have outsiders get in. And so what is going on is they close ranks. They're running the show. Minister comes. He really doesn't know a whole lot. I mean, he'll make some speeches and they'll give him some lip service. But in the, at the end, they'll, they'll do it's the IS running the show. I mean, I have been pushed around from this minister to that minister. Top people, top minister level people who are union ministers and all have heard me over the last few years. I have given dozens of, dozens of presentations, hundreds of PowerPoint slides, many, many proposals, zero outcome. Because in terms of lip service, they're very, very nice to me. They're wonderful people. At some point, they bring in the IS guys, the, 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 uh, technic the guys who are head of various departments to kind of help me out. Those people give a run around proposal I'm not going to suck up and kiss ass. I don't have time for that. I'm not a uh, industrialist looking to make some money for myself and get some license and get some favors. I am doing desh seva and they ought to be helping me. I am doing their job. I, 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 in fact, tell them that, look, you are making it look like I have to submit this to you, that to you as if I, you are doing me a favor. But let me tell you, I'm doing your job for you. Because I'm not paid. I don't expect to be paid. I don't want to be paid. I don't need to be paid. You are a servant of the citizens of this country. It is your job to run this issue, to run, yeah. solve this problem. You don't have the know-how. I'm willing to give you the know-how for free. But you have to treat me right. You cannot make me run around like I'm some uh, Ambani guy sitting in Delhi who wants some contract or who wants this access. Or I'm some industrialist uh, who wants some deal. I I'm not looking for any deal of a profit kind at all. I'm yeah. looking to be the person who gives you know-how, you know, and, and can but I, you have to so allow so me to do that. Can I be ruthlessly honest with you about one point? Yeah. I, and, and I'm just going to be very straight up with you here. Yeah. I love your intent, sir. But considering the people at the top at this time in history, I just feel your timeline is not matching with what you're trying to do. I, at least from the outside, seeming like that. And again, I feel like if, if we were having this conversation 20 years later, everything you'd be saying would probably be applied. You know, in, in a sense, of... I, I, I'm ahead of my time. I was ahead of my time yeah. uh, when I gave up uh, for profit uh, in the 90s and said India needs a civilizational voice. In, in, the, in the halls of uh, the Ivy Leagues, and the, you know, I, I became that one man to go and challenge them, took a lot of heat, a lot of, lot of nonsense came to me. Nobody defended me, not the Indian consulate, not the gurus, not the political people. They said, let him fight on his own. I had to wow. do all this hard work, dirty work on my own, not for myself, but for the sake of the country. And so it wasn't easy to get support. Now there are a lot of people out there become activists because the groundwork has been made, because certain basic premises have been established, whether we are competing, whether we are destroying and knocking down the RN invasion theory, whether we are knocking down this whole exaggerated that uh, the caste uh, case against uh, all our culture and all that, whether we are defending the, uh, that there are civilizations track record of respecting women, whether we are defending minority rights in India, whatever, I, I laid out the issues. I said, this is the naksha. This is the map. These are the five or six or eight 
top issues on which they are attacking us. This is how we have to counterattack. These are the centers where the fight is coming from. This is the, these are the nexuses specializing in this, this, and this kind of research. And I've done the same for the next wave of attacks. The next wave of attacks, which is going to be technologically far more sophisticated, is happening, is already started happening. Our people haven't caught up to this. There are investors in tech and investors in big data in India who've got a portfolio of investments and ventures that are actually aligned with very nasty breaking India forces. So I, I, I have that also. So, you know, the thing is that the youth and the futurist thinking young people, by the time they come to power and all this happens, you're talking about 15, 20 years, we don't have that time. We may not survive. India, you, I will tell you, China, Pakistan hyphenated uh, with all this Afghanistan becoming a vacuum of power with US withdrawing. Uh, you know, this is going to be uh, taking up more and more share of Indian uh, GDP to survive. And India will when need... You, when yeah. you say survive, sir, what do you mean? As an economic power or do you mean like physically? I mean physically as a sovereign power. I, I, the, there will be more Kashmir's, uh, both whether it's northeast, whether it is in, uh, uh, you know, the central India, all these Maoist things, uh, whether it is somewhere on the fringe, somewhere else. You will see the breaking India forces becoming empowered more and more. Uh, uh, you know, I used to say this. Uh, I used to go and uh, visit uh, Jamia Millia in the 90s. And I was telling my friends, wait and see, this is going to become a dangerous place. Because what I discovered is in Jamia Millia, they have a center for Dalit studies. I said, why the hell they have center for Dalit studies? Meant for it's okay, Thika, center for Islam, all these kind of things. I respect it, love it. They invited me to give a a keynote address in, uh, you know, in one of their, their events. And I was walking around the hall and I was seeing that the, the labels on the offices of scholars and what kind of centers they've created, what kind of, uh, you know, this center for feminism, center for, uh, uh, you know, human rights of minorities, all these loaded, loaded with uh, agenda meaning and getting foreign funding for that. I was telling this in the 90s. This is very dangerous stuff, sir. Sir, of course, under intellectual freedom, you can't stop it, but you can start countering it. You should create your own centers where you are also taking similar topics and producing people who can argue. I cannot, as a one man, go argue against all these people. So whether it is JNU, whether it is now this Ashoka University, which is pretty bad in Delhi, and uh, whether it is uh, uh, you know Jamia Millia, these things have been allowed to happen right under our nose. Nobody is taking a serious long-term view. Everybody trying to figure out what's in it for me. I'll get ahead. That is, you need people who are willing to stick their neck out, get out of their comfort zone, take the personal risk, invest all they got, and not want anything back. You need, you need people like that. And we've had people like that during the freedom struggle. Hmm. So we need such people. So could you elaborate a little more on what could possibly go wrong from what you said? I understood that you mean a fragmentation of India will take place where the country might get divided into more countries or, you know, pieces of the country could be taken away and absorbed into other countries. And that's honestly something that a lot of people need to wrap their brains around the international borders that we know of today have just been around for like hundred years or so. What was happening before the year 1900? What was happening before the year 1500? What was happening in human history of two lakh years? 
there was no such concept as borders so this border of india that we all see in our geography textbooks it's actually a very new concept this border of pakistan you see is a new concept and it's very likely that these will change further and it's just such a larger than life concept that we are not taught is possible in school but we're probably on the brink of it therefore the question to you is you said that as an economic power and as a geographical power we might take a hit but could you elaborate a little more on that so ki what can actually happen yeah so i think china can take over the mountain areas china is getting ready for it they have built these high speed rails all the way to the border uh, whether it is arunachal area bhutan area ladakh area uh, you know uh, all these different areas sikkim area uh, and and even though 50% of the whole t- uh, border northern border is neutral because of nepal not even counting nepal the rest of the border you know india has the largest let me give you a statistic india has the world's largest hostile border you know in the number of miles with pakistan and china and you know all of this different areas which are hostile where there is a territorial claim by an enemy where there is armed forces of the enemy nuclear powers no other country in the world has that many thousand kilometers of hostile borders so this is a huge risk that is going that is depleting india's gdp depleting so you know if india didn't have to put so many troops in kashmir uh, the gdp compounded growth growth rate would have been such that today's per capita income would have been substantially higher maybe two three times what it is if you were to simulate and take say okay Uh, uh, the gdp would have been so many percent higher than it was so we are paying the price of uh, uh, this this very expensive protection of our sovereignty you know we have to do we have to export so much techno uh, manpower tech uh, software manpower uh, why because we are there are two things we buy one is we buy petroleum thank thank god the price of oil has been stable but we spend a lot of our foreign exchange buying two things uh, weapons and petroleum and so without these two you know you need the energy to run your industry and run your life and you need the weapons to protect you from enemies so you know it's like we are on a treadmill so we have to keep exporting a few years from now we have to export twice as many people because each person brings in so much foreign exchange or uski zarurat hai because we need to protect ourselves so this is not a stable Uh, this kind of a this kind of a sovereignty is not stable where it depends on foreign weapons without which we can't succeed because our weapons have not been able to come up at the rate at which china has advanced and china is giving so not only china is threatening to take over the mountain areas and these mountain areas where the rivers are so mountain area is not just some random nostalgia and romantic mountain that's where the rivers are whether it is the brahmaputra whether it is the all this whole uh, you know uh, the the northeast rivers that come through uh, uh, ladakh and uh, kashmir uh, three of the five punjab rivers are been given to pakistan uh, including uh, the most uh, the high, biggest river biggest rivers uh, small amount of the water is coming to india only so the takeover of the mountains has huge implications for the economy uh, plus destabilizing uh, and then imagine if on top of that they were to also take over nepal what would india do whether it's a friendly government whether it's an unfriendly government 
like that they could have a military coup one day they could say this government came over and this government has invited china to protect them and so we overnight we sent uh, you know so many divisions of our military what is india going to do is india going to attack is america bothered america is only bothered about its its interests america will do a protest maybe they'll put some sanction uh, maybe they'll have a complaint and uh, india will have emotional kind of feel uh, feel day in the un uh, bashing up china but at the end of the day the ground reality is not going to change i'm looking i'm a pragmatic guy i i'm looking at what's the ground reality i'm not looking at ki uski izzat bigad di usko humne insult kar diya that doesn't that victory is useless victory so india does not have the the hard power to counter china china can pretty much do a lot of damage to india if they were to tomorrow just ask yourself if they were to tomorrow find some excuse silly political excuse and march into uh, into nepal uh, we, i believe it's a matter of time before they'll do that the the political wind of nepal shifts from pro china to pro india to neutral to pro china to pro india ever since the hindu kingdom was wiped out when the hindu kingdom was there and when the hindu kingdom was in trouble the indians did not take it seriously the indians thought that this king is useless fellow he's violating human rights democracy is better for them and this and that so the left wing the maoists they came up with all this uh, they whipped up all this stuff got rid of the hindu king and now you have a uh, nepal that will never be stable it will be unstable like indian politics it will go from one party to another back and forth china will find its moment so if you look at the whole mountain area uh even without this nepal factor but then with the nepal factor getting even more out of control you have a you have a catastrophic problem and then you look at the second aspect they they are definitely arming pakistan they are definitely taking over more and more ownership of pakistan through investments uh, now you know china has got the such a large amount of money invested in pakistan and the pakistan army is trying to protect the chinese installations and there are terrorists in uh, china in pakistan who are blowing up chinese installations so china latest in the last week uh, put out a notice that maybe we'll have to protect our uh, our installations with our own military now what a statement what a statement that having made so much investment in pakistan we may have to militarily using missiles using our technology using surveillance because whenever that big corridor in pakistan that is all chinese technology going all the way from tibet to the arabian sea that whole corridor is being is totally surveillance with the american with the chinese surveillance every all these cameras got lakhs of cameras there uh, uh, all this surveillance equipment is there so china is actually pretty much in, uh, in the guts of pakistan and isi is happy because they feel that they have a joint enemy gives them a joint purpose so i don't do not think that in, that india can defeat pakistan do not rule out the possibility that it may be the other way around because pakistan will provide boots on the ground which china does not want to provide china will provide the money and the technology and the hardware so already some chinese fighter jets are being assembled in pakistan i don't know if you know that chinese fighter jets are being assembled in pakistan so pakistan is gradually from medium tech to higher tech and higher tech thanks to china it's happening and china will use use them as useful idiots there is something called useful idiots matlab the person is an idiot but you can use him so it's not going to help pakistan but they are useful idiots they first were uh, you know they had sold out to the americans putting bases there then they sold out to you know saudis you know so then now they sold out to chinese so they always 
selling or renting their country. Pakistan is for rent. So Chinese is a good landlord, you know, Chinese is the latest landlord. So I, I feel that these kind of uh, problems from the outside are very dangerous and they're not going away in the next uh, decade. Then you compound it with internal problems. You see what's happening in Bangladesh, uh, spill over to West Bengal and its implications all over the Northeast. What is ISI doing? What are these, uh, these, uh, these foreign religious and uh, political thought, mass migrations going on? The, the India from West Bengal East, all the way to Northeast is a very vulnerable area. It's an area that could be worse than today's Kashmir. It could happen. It could happen within this decade. So, you know, so I feel that uh, these, are, these are some examples of the threats to Indian sovereignty. And uh, 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 India at one time had this uh, ironclad protection from Soviet Union, which is no longer the case. Uh, India tried to make friends with China that we are this Hindi, Chini, Bhai, Bhai, you are Buddhist, we are Asian. Jula Karenge, Hagdenge, and all that. That did not work because we did not read them properly. We were very naive in understanding them. And now India is saying, okay, now nobody else left, so America, Hamko, adopt Karo, Quad, Bange, and all that. But those Americans, whether it is Republican, Democrat, point is American, all, like all countries, looking after themselves, and they will utilize whatever alliance works. So India is not like a long term permanent. See, the long-term permanent allies. One is Israel because of religious reasons, because of the whole Christian support for Judaism. There is something called Zionism, Christian Zionism. Christian Zionists are people who are Christians, but they believe in the integrity, safety, and future glory of Israel as part of their biblical interpretation. So there is no similar thing for India that there is for Israel. And the second area which they are very will never give up is with Britain. Because Britain is the founding fathers of India, the, all these English culture, English civilization that came to the Americas in the 1600s, and that has permeated. There is something called Anglo-American Anglo philosophy, Anglo-American thought system. That means Anglo, the British side, and the American are a kind of a, 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 a worldview. So United States has those as permanent civilizational allies, you might say, for civilizational reasons. The rest are for concurrent political benefit, mutual benefit. You do an alliance with this guy or you do an alliance with that guy. Uh, there are so many battleships. Where do we place them? Do we place them in the Pacific or Indian Ocean or here or there? Uh, do we allocate more for NATO? Do we allocate for uh, you know fighting North Korea and help South Korea there? Do we uh, help uh, the South China Seas and protect Taiwan? I mean, or do we protect India from uh, its northern water being taken away? The, the India is one of those pieces always being moved around on the, on the game board in America. So India is very precariously placed. And uh, this, I, this I worry about a lot. And I do not find enough people in India thinking about it, except defense people. Hmm. I'm very proud of those guys. I know some of them. I talk to them online. I also talk to them offline. A lot of it, they want offline discussion. I'm more than happy whenever they want because I think they, they, are, they are the right people to understand this threat. Yeah, yeah. So while I have a zillion questions after every single answer of yours, I'm trying to curate this as an introduction piece to you because I'm sure you'll be back on the show. 
uh therefore let's talk about something that's relevant uh, we had someone called mr abhijit chavda on the show i believe even you know him and you guys have interacted uh, in the recent past as well he is also very fascinated and uh, into geopolitics in general and he keeps bringing up this concept about covid being a man made virus uh, covid 19 being a man made virus um and earlier on in this episode you spoke about how the chinese have succeeded in mapping out the human genome in terms of they have a genetic mapping of how an indian's indian gene is how an african gene is how an american gene is therefore they can kind of curate biological weapons that only affect a certain part of our population so the obvious question again this is because you study geopolitics in such a wide way and i'm sure you've also delved a little bit into bio weapons in your studies i'd love to know about biological warfare in general the future of it the obvious question is also the corona virus is it man made is it being deployed in order to pull up china's gdp while the rest of the world's gdp is kind of plateauing you know it's very interesting very early in the pandemic uh, in one of my in more than one of my uh, uh, talks on youtube i actually raised this in fact i did research on the wuhan institute where this whole uh, is one of the top institutes of viruses and they have a huge uh, amount of uh, work going on americans actually collaborated with them americans unwittingly taught them a lot of stuff uh, gave them grants because the, the, the chinese always said that we are the center of our research on bats and the corona virus this institute in wuhan is well known for that i had uh, pictures i had some uh, articles that they have written they have written they have written, published papers on uh, on the uh, man made versus natural viruses papers with that type that they later withdrew so i put a lot of this stuff on in the early days of my uh, when the virus came and i was talking about that subject uh, this was uh, dismissed uh, these uh, youtube facebook type people would ban all of these kind of things and people in india also did not uh, react well they thought i'm being a conspiracy theorist so i stopped now it has come back in a big way i actually think there is a lot to be said that that is the case i i actually believe that uh, i'm not sure that the chinese had the strategy that we'll do this on purpose and release it because if that had been the case they would have protected themselves a little bit better uh, uh, but my feeling is that uh, it was some kind of an experiment they are doing some r and d and some there are these mishaps that happen in virus research all the time when you're dealing with dangerous pathogens this is not the first time that something has escaped and gone out of hand so i think this was probably a technology being developed it had not been finalized it had probably not reached the stage where uh, president xi pushed the button and said okay now go with it it was sort of happening when it accidentally leaked out i think that's probably the case so it was kind of a semi finished incomplete kind of a virus job are uh, not truly perfected to do what it uh, what it could do even more dangerously and it somehow leaked out and then it's gone uh, i feel that that's a scenario i don't have any proof for it but i have a lot of uh, information some of it publicly known and some you know the cia has a huge amount of uh, huge repository of uh, documents on china and they have a, they they keep translating those from mandarin chinese to english and some of it they make available to certain people from the outside and some of it they classify so i'm also an avid reader of that 
and, and I feel that uh, uh, whether the world can publicly ever admit and acknowledge and whether they can do anything to China, we, we don't know. But the fact is that uh, it, it, is, it is unlikely that with no human involvement, this thing magically appeared in some, fact, in some fish market, animal market, and from there it went all the way. I think there is a human element, whether it is intentional or unconsciously accidental, uh, whether it was part of a big government plan or just some research going on to investigate, that I don't know. But what is more important than the past is it is now abundantly clear that such technologies are within the power and within the control of uh, labs. Whether, whether Ranveer, you were doing it or not on purpose, now we know that you have the capability to do it again in the future. Different formulations, different mutations. See, that is what I'm saying. So now I know this. Now I know this. I'm using you as a kind of a mirror, but I'm saying I'm really referring to China. That now that we know about China, that they, they this happened, even if it turns out this happened unintentionally, the point is the capability exists. It can be done intentionally. It can be done consciously. It can be done that, okay, this will only affect African people or it will affect everybody except African people. Because, you know, what they are, if you look at what is the mRNA, uh, why, uh, this thing that uh, Moderna and uh, Pfizer, that Americans, very successful, very successful vaccines because they're using a technology which is genetic oriented. And so you can build an immunity uh, uh, to a certain uh, mutant, which will be not uh, applicable to another mutant. You can build a mutant which is going to attack only a certain type of genetic makeup. Uh, you know, the genetic medicine, genetically controlled medicine for good purposes, good uh, positive use, is a huge industry. So you can now have medicines that will only go to a certain organ in your body or it will only influence people of certain genes. Uh, you, you can t look at, there's something to, you can clip, edit with scissors. Uh, you can edit the genetic. You can know that this part of the gene is vulnerable to these kind of things and you can remove them, which means you can also add them. If, you, if, if there's a genetic thing which, which protects you from certain disease. See, some genetic uh, 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 substance makes you vulnerable to a certain disease. So certain people are more vulnerable than others. But by the same token, there are certain genetic things somebody has this in them, which will protect them from a certain disease. So now that we know, and this knowledge is exploding, this is exploding as this is big data. Genetic data is the ultimate big data. And this is going into all these machine learning systems and they're figuring out these things faster than human beings could figure out. So mm. this, is, this means that this new, tech, new age of bio and, and AI, the, the marriage of biological sciences and computer science. Computer science, learning how the biology works from the biologists, neurology, neuroscience, teaching them how the mind works. Remember, all these uh, AI systems are called neural networks. Why are they called neural networks? Neural, neural is the human brain because it's modeled after that. It's inspired based on our understanding of the neural system. So neural system for mind sciences, and uh, biological systems for physical interventions. This is the future, a large part of the future of computer science. I'm a computer scientist by training. And my field was artificial intelligence. And I'm telling you that the biggest 
bonanza or the biggest opening of uh, computer science for intellectual property and research has come in these life sciences, both in the in, in neuroscience to uh, for mental inter, mental interventions, uh, and also through uh, the, the genetics for biological interventions. So the future is so promising in positive ways and so scary in negative ways. Uh, India has to be at the top of all this. India is mm. not at the top of all this. And this is scary that you, you end up as a, if, you, if India were to, I feel that Indians are smart. And if India were to set a target of what, what we'll achieve in terms of made in India, AI based life sciences, technologies, and other kinds of technologies, what will we achieve by 2025, 2027, 2030? And put some serious brains and just like ISRO, leave them alone. Don't center it in Delhi where ministers are going and messing around every day. Keep this out of Delhi somewhere and put some serious people, serious money. You will, you will solve all these problems. You will bring brilliant people to work. Like one of the things that happened in NASA is all kind of physicists from all over the world came and, you know, all these uh, rocket scientists who used to work in Germany and they wanted to run away from Hitler, they all came to the United States. So NASA is able to harness the brains from everywhere. Russians, I, some low guy. Now India can create similar to ISRO and similar to NASA, but in this new field that I'm talking about. It can create two or three ISROs and give them missions and give them money and have them the freedom to think on their own, technocrats. I would love to be involved just, just for fun, just to mentor, just to give my input. And I want nothing out of it. I don't want position, position. I don't want title, title. I don't want to be running anything. I just want to help. Yeah. And this, this would be a good thing to do. I have three things to say, sir. Uh, the first is a recent article I read on the Manhattan Project. And for people who are listening into the, on the podcast, the Manhattan Project was the project related to creating the atom bomb. And what Sir just spoke about, where the physicists left Europe because they would either be recruited by Hitler or recruited by the Allied forces, which is USA and uh, UK. So they decided to go on the USA side because they felt like that's the more ethical side. That's where uh, there weren't the concentration camps. And the reason they joined the Manhattan Project is because they figured that if we don't get together and create an atom bomb, someone else on the other side will, and then it'll be deployed on the USA and on all the allied forces. So let's side with the good. And that's a great way of looking at the times we live in as well. Intelligent Indians need to, especially those who are in the field of AI, need to come back to India and develop things here for exactly the same reason that Sir's listed out in the podcast. So that's the first thing that I think the modern day Manhattan project. The second thing I'd like to highlight, uh, is, uh, I think that, that this is the main reason, honestly, that a bunch of my co-founders and myself are chasing big business in life to be able to fund projects like this and to fund opportunity like this in India. So I hope that we're on the right track. Uh, but the third thing, sir, most specifically, like I, I know you broke down how uh, the biggest use of big data is in biology, where a lot of people believe that medicine has already learned everything about the human body, but that's not true. There's a lot of mysteries about the human body that are yet to be discovered. And that's probably where AI will be used in a beautiful way. But since you've studied AI, since you've studied uh, biotech, what other kind of uh, technologies are we on the brink of, according to you, which will kind of just create a very, very different world by the year 2031? 
according to you like what else is out there so you know what's happening is if you one of the things i did in my book uh, i uh, this is uh, this book i i'll just show it up there uh, artificial intelligence and the future of power now one of the th- tables i have here is i'm looking at the location where the technology is based from is it outside the body is it inside the body and how is moving so there's a there's a table somewhere here uh, where i'm actually uh, looking at uh, um, so so yeah this is a table on page 21 so what i'm looking at is that uh, certain technology it starts out on a web so you can go to the web and you can enter something and it will translate in hindi or whatever it's some technology there then the technology can be brought onto your device uh, you, your laptop or your mobile device you can do the same thing you don't have to go online you can do it and then it becomes a wearable so from a handheld it goes even more intimate becomes a wearable uh, nowadays the watch is a big wearable there's going to be augmented reality goggles that will also be a wearable but it's still outside the body it's not inside my skin it's touching my skin wearable is touching the skin uh, and it's all the time on me uh, or almost all the time uh, now it's going to go even further it's going to go inside the body so mm. the implants are being done we we find uh, elon musk is uh, very famous for his, his ventures and one of his latest ventures is very he thinks this is the biggest breakthrough that will happen is ai based uh, in in implants neuralink so, yes and the us government is investing in that in huge way they parallel thing ci has chinese have so american corporates again three people american corporates american government military cia second and chinese these three are investing in this and what they are what they have done so far is very quite remarkable they are able to uh, the these uh, these uh, devices inside are able to recognize that you're about to get angry uh, uh, oh. because there's a certain burst of neurons and so they can anticipate uh, and maybe maybe control your anger maybe maybe put in a burst which is a happy burst some happy memory that you had so that uh, your uh, violence is controlled uh, they can they they are working on ways that they can detect uh, uh, you know a person is about is suicidal so he's about to get this kind of a negative thought and maybe they can re- intervene so there are positive applications it will be sold initially to the market to the world ki aapke head mein i'm going to put this implant for good reasons it will help you sir if you are a depressed person you are bipolar uh, you are suicidal you are you have anger maybe the court will also say that you are uh, if somebody has committed some violence uh, maybe domestic violence then instead of throwing him in jail he has to accept that there will be an implant to protect to prevent that so if a person were given a choice in a court that you are either going to be in jail because you are a violent fellow or you going to have this implant that will keep you non violent a lot of people will say are bhai i'll better off getting this implant because i'm told mm. they give you free netflix also they give you free <laughs> netflix and they give you free porn and they give you all kind of fun stuff when you put the implant so theek hai hum mauj karenge i'll live in this nice land fantasy land so this business of putting implants that will do what instead of augmented realities from the outside so from an implant the inside they're going to give you an augmented reality virtual reality at first it will be to or just prevent prevent bad things from happening uh, maybe and then they'll find that this can enhance your learning you can learn math more you can become uh, you know um, no many languages so there will be lot of good applications and and always always technology has found good ways to be acceptable 
and once acceptable once uh, more and more people are into this it's become fashion almost almost you go to a cocktail party and say are bhai maine to ye chip lagwa diya and the other guy will say maine to usse bhi bada wo wala lagwa diya and this guy will say maine to facebook wala chip lagwa diya and the other guy will say i got this elon musk this is a new one i got that one so the way we show off with the who got what kind of phone smartphone or watch uh, maybe these implants will become highly fashionable Uh, and even if they are not fashionable then you know there are still uh, us is uh, uh, developing implants this has come on many shows also uh, where they will inject something into the body of the soldier uh, who's in the front and this will monitor his biochemistry his blood levels and if something is going to go wrong it will anticipate well before any other method would have anticipated so this is a way to keep the soldiers ha- healthy this is a way to uh, you know anticipate problems there is a company in mumbai that has a blood test where it can predict cancer one year if you're going to get cancer in the next year exactly which kind of cancer the very original kind of work they have done it's also been done in europe and us similar kind of things but now the implants the implant will be kind of like a permanent surveillance of your biochemistry another kind of an implant will be a permanent surveillance of your neural network and mind so i feel that uh, uh, these are technologies that are not 50 years from now this is by 2030 these are realistic these are commercial uh, these are things that will have uh, will be marketed so where is india in all this this troubles me because this is yeah. the industrial revolution scale change in the world new colonies new colonizers within the countries haves and have nots now what we are talking about and what we have not talked about as a problem in india is india's own people being classified as haves and have nots on a new scale you know we already have the disparity but imagine half the people in india are barely educated i mean many are illiterate officially those who are literate they are not functionally literate i mean like the driver of my mother's car my mother's no more but he's he's like family we are all he's living there and he's like our the son in the house he is hardly educated but he's classified as an educated person because he can read and write his name that is the definition mm-hmm. of education but when you talk about if he cannot function as an educated person and and get the job that requires some education he cannot do that i would say half of indian people are not functionally competitive on a global scale i mean they can do menial tasks very labor intensive tasks they can do some handicraft or whatever they can do now that's a very large population that's hundreds of millions of people so what is going to happen to the large uh, you know social demographic group uh, that uh, we cannot afford to have uh, you know we cannot afford to uh, give so many so much housing and free gas and free education and free medical and uh, you know all kind of uh, facilities that human beings need and of course since we have these people we have to do, we should give them but if we did not have such a large population of the poor kind if we had the, you know then your thinking would be correct that the youth of india the one you are talking about are the well educated youth of india and the new industrialists those are well educated and the new leaders you're talking about that but you are not you're not acknowledging that those are like the top 20% 25% Uh, then then there is another one third somewhere in the middle who are okay maybe they can cross over but there's a good half who are not likely in the next generation to cross over i mean this is a very big job india did not educate its people 
and uh, this is a big crisis. I I want to I want people to tell me what is going to happen to the lower half of India. So, at but a time, you don't at a time when the upper half is jumping ahead. Don't you think internet penetration will play a role in like educating them as well? Because let's forget the education system. That's it's it's like kind of a dead beast. But the internet is like a beast by itself. So that's my big hope, even for them. Yeah, but even that requires internet-based education, internet-based tutoring, mentoring, guiding a student. It cannot just be that you give them internet and the guy is just watching porn movies and Netflix and tamasha and cricket. Most of these guys. Uh, you know, most of the people in that level that I'm talking about, they are using internet more, more or less like one tamasha, uh, creating followers, uh, getting friends. You know, they can. It is not serious education. It is not. It is not for that. I mean, you'll find that the number of people who subscribe for a course, which is not a trivial course, which has got something serious about it, even if it is free, the number of people is maybe thousands or lakhs. But then compare it with the number of people in the millions who are just looking at junk. Yep. Internet, internet also needs to be. Uh, it does not. It need the curating of internet uh, and giving some incentives to people, and they should be. They should be on a track to learn. Uh, that also requires some thinking and strategy. Yeah, um, that's one of the problems we're trying to solve on one of our projects. We're trying to create a product. that teaches people and entertains people at the same time i can't reveal much of it on the show but uh, it's it's a product to solve exactly this problem that how do we kind of make the process of learning fun for the average indian see the, um, traditionally this was called edutainment educational yeah. ed- entertainment and edutainment also has gone into the gaming so yeah. you can you can make games i i i used to make games i way back uh, oh, wow. as a programmer so i know all this gaming stuff Uh, I, I'm deep into this—the uh, ethos of gaming for good purposes. Wow! You can, you can you can create, you can make game. I even have a, a book coming out. I will reveal a little bit where I'm describing the cosmos as a game. Oh! Oh my God! <laughs> and, and this is a Vedic view, by the way. The cosmos is a game. Wow! The whole startup, evolution, enhancement, dissolution, start up again. I'm modeling as a game. Wow! For fun, this is just my my. Uh, this is Bhagwan's Leela, which is a game. <laughs> Bhagwan's Leela is a is a, <laughs> is the most ultimate game. Yeah. Once you figure out some of the uh, some of the crucial aspects of uh, the Leela as a game, then you figure out how. What if I put these in my my game for human beings, my mm. man-made game? I will copy some of what Bhagwan has done. and this is absolutely incredible mm. because because uh, the 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 what is called stickiness you know what is the the stickiness in in the in this leela is absolutely amazing because people are really into what pursuing this pursuing that so suppose we can figure out the core tenets what is the tatva of this game that gets wow. people going into life so seriously and if you can capture that and put it into a game where we can modify their thinking in a good way what a big thing So I'm into yeah. that. So interesting that you're bringing up these topics, sir. Uh, it is going to be our main theme on the Hindi episode that we will shoot right after this. But uh, coming back to you know this topic about educating the future of the country, 
Um, let me ask you a simple question, sir. Don't even think too hard about it. Just give me a one-line answer. What's your favorite movie of all time? Arey ba. You know, my movies have changed over time, uh, uh, but I, I, I would say the one movie that uh, inspired me, that I felt was saying something that I was working on, was the movie Lagan, hmm. because I felt. i felt this idea that uh, you know uh, we are being ruled by rules by laws that somebody else made uh, whether we have to play cricket and win and all that for our existence now what was the game of cricket that somebody brought and we have to play whether we win or lose but our survival is at stake now these ai giants are making the rules of the game the, yeah. the yeah. new game is not cricket only the cricket but these games your social media is gamified so how you respond will determine uh, whether you become famous or not how well your channel does so it's a way of training you you are being trained the algorithm is training you the owner of the technology trains the algorithm with big data that is part yeah. one uh, somebody trains the algorithm put his own bias and his own values into it then the algorithm manages all these people trains them to behave accordingly so so the chinese have got this algorithms to train this muslim minority in their re- in one region of the country and make them good chinese citizens they get rewards if they don't they get punished and they they have now taken this gamification of uh, chinese of the muslims and applied it to the general society so all chinese citizens are being gamified uh, and 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 uh, american uh, uh, citizens the social media is a gamification system uh mike uh, this uh, zuckerberg announced that uh, uh now it will be allowed to uh, uh, discuss wuhan as a possible origin the wuhan lab man made lab as a possible origin of the virus previously it was not allowed now who the hell is he who the hell is he to decide for 2 billion people large percent of human beings that this will be allowed and that will not be allowed and then when they are when they are accused of false content they say oh we are not responsible for content you can't have it both ways if you are censoring if you are blocking people like they are blocking my channels a lot if you are blocking people then you are taking responsibility over content you are taking a stand on what is right content what is wrong content then in that case when the content is dangerous and irresponsible you are also uh, you know you you your neck on the line so i feel that uh, uh, the the this uh, the, the movie the movie that influenced me uh in a way that i could take its lesson not just entertainment in a historical context in the past i can take its lesson and apply it to the future i can say mm-hmm. this same game is being played now you know in a in a in a virtual sense is we are yeah. being gamified just like those guys had to play cricket and beat the people who made the game and maybe we will learn how to do our own social media and learn how to beat all these guys like lagan they beat in them in cricket in the end so yep. we got we got we got to learn from lagan and figure out okay now how how do we create that kind of a ragtag team with very little resources but a tremendous amount of will power a tremendous amount of confidence and courage and all that and look at the team everybody was uh, optimized for his role this guy is a tough guy so he'll be doing this this guy is not so tough but he'll be doing that everybody doing a role so i feel that india needs to be india needs to create team india we need to have a team uh, a bharat team home team i called it we need to have a home team 
that is savvy about all these challenges and not afraid, facing squarely and out to win and learning. And, and we need to put all the resources into it. The reason I asked you about the movie is because I feel everyone's favorite movie is the piece of art where they find themselves in the most, where they say, okay, that's me. That's me on screen. That's what I want to do. That's where I see myself. And one way to educate the masses is through amazing storytelling. So going forward, I mean, I really feel there's a need for entrepreneurial stories and inspirational stories in Indian cinema, rather than the ladka ladki hero villain kind of stuff. We need to be able to create more movies like Lagan, like Guru. So like I, I, I feel that I am the, uh, I am the person with a vision that against all odds, I will cricket team. And we'll show them, we'll beat them at their own game. I want to do that for this new AI, internet, cyber, big data game. That is the new game. And I want to do the Lagan version, uh, hopefully during my life. But certainly I'd like to inspire people that this work continues. So that would, that is why I find such movies because I can use the metaphor and move it up 20, 30 years and say, okay, today the metaphor can be applied in this way. Yeah. Uh, and I see it happening. There is a huge need for inspiring content for this exact reason that if we want more Indians to be risk takers, if we want more Indians to be job creators, it has to happen through storytelling. Uh, so we'll be moving on to the final section of this particular episode. Think of this as sort of a rapid fire section. It's all our questions from our Twitter verse. Uh, you were kind enough to retweet our uh, tweet about questions for you. So this is the best of the lot. You've got your own cult following. That's one thing I can tell you from seeing all the questions. So uh, let me begin with our Twitter verse section. And there's, there's a lot of questions, honestly. Um, okay. Uh, wow. Okay. Aman Moria asks overall, if you had to choose between a positive and a negative future of India, what do you think is more likely considering all the data that you have in your head, which side are we tilting on more? Well, I'm very sorry that, uh, I, I can't give the good news to make people feel good. I've been doing the good news most of my life as an act in this area, saying that we want to build this great Indian grand narrative and I've been working on it and documenting India's great achievements and all that. That is very important to do. That's past. The question is, can we project it into the future? And I, I feel that the, the number, the, the percent of people like the ones on this show and you as the host and many other wonderful people, they are on the right tra track, but I'm not sure that, the, that they have enough percentage share of uh, mind of the Indian mind in the resources. And I'm particularly worried that there's a bottom 50% that are not even in the discussion. They don't even know what the heck is going on. They're just looking for basic dal roti, get a job, learn to be a little bit of a lower middle class fellow in a city and live, leave the village life. There's an abandonment of villages because the agriculture economy is not able to support villages. There are so many people who are doing the uh, five, six people doing the job that one person could do uh, in a city like Delhi in a domestic case, in a domestic situation, because they have, I mean, you ask them, why aren't you working in your village? They have no, no economy. There's no way to survive. So this, uh, su this is a very serious problem. I do not know how the uh, India can simultaneously solve 
the China problem, the Pakistan problem, the domestic breaking India forces, the overpopulation with 50% under under the uh, under the level where they're not able to sustain themselves, they need to be supported. Uh, these and then the politics of elections. You cannot get people to think much. They'll always say, "I got to go." Like uh, they just mean Surya. For several years, I mean, he, he's been his office says we want to do this with you, uh, but then in the last minute it's cancelled because some meeting, some he's moved into this MP meeting, that meeting in Delhi, that BJP meeting there. So you know when people who you think are brainy people are spending all their time winning elections. Who's going to do this nation building? They are just building the political party. But the nation building is a much more important job. And that is largely in the hands of Babus. And Babus are not trained as subject matter experts. They are not trained in big management. They have no uh, corporate management skills. They've never had to compete. So if you're running a railway ministry, that's the monopoly. You, you don't have to be measured against other competing railway ministries. If you are, yeah. uh, you know, if you are defense minister, uh, who do you measure against? There is no benchmark. There is no competition. So you know you are you are just appointed, and you can boss, and you can say this is the best I can do, and this is a great job, and people will believe you or not believe you. But this uh, uh, IAS have never learned competition because they never had to. So this uh, all these issues together uh, are formidable, and I had great hopes that there will be some some amount of allocation of resource for advisors, for thinkers, for think tanks to pursue these things. And I kept giving proposal after proposal, uh, you know, many, many offers, many ways to help. And I found that the tendency in India was that if you're talking to RSS people, the leaders are brilliant, they're wonderful, good friends, but they'll hand it over to one of their, or two or three of their own uh, people who are considered to be relatively more intellectual to follow up. And they'll, they'll turn it into their own project and leave somebody like me out of it because they're threatened out, they're threatened by outsiders. Similarly, BJP, all, all about their insiders, they will hand it. You give them a proposal, they'll hand it to one of their people to get, take it forward. Because they feel that, they, that once they've got the idea from you, their slides from you or a proposal from you, they've used you and they can dump you. But what they don't realize is that what you presented to them is just the tip of the iceberg. There is a lot more detail and there's a lot, uh, having been the researcher to pull, to develop this over many decades, you also have the ability to mentor, to guide, to implement, but they feel that threat. So this business of not being able to use the best ideas from wherever they are, okay, and, and incorporate them, but to have to control the, the top leadership so that they're all loyal to you, they're part of your group and all that. This is a very big handicap. The huge handicap in, in uh, uh, you know, India has not been able to, the Indian government has not been able to induct the best talent or merit from wherever. They just don't be able to do that. So I, I have, a, I feel that the issues, it cannot be that I predict, uh, I predict an outcome based on wishful thinking. Because maybe wishful thinking though, I have given it all I got. I of course want India to succeed. I'll do anything, anything I have to sacrifice for that outcome. But I have to be realistic. It is not a high probability. Yeah. Um, maybe, maybe at some point there'll be a unit of entrepreneurs leading the charge if the babus and the government governance can't uh, handle it. We need it's to. an interest. Yeah, I mean that's that's the big hope and that's the vision I have for myself in 2000 
2029 and 2030 that okay we would have got some capital from whatever we're building now and then it's all about training the next generation of entrepreneurs very good um there's a follow up very interesting follow up question from captain jack sundaram how do we create futuristic thinkers out of the young generation of indians wonderful so i can only tell you my process, my journey was uh, i was a deep meditator so that got that put you in touch with some creative source inside there's an infinite infinite supercomputer with all the ai and all the brilliance that is uh, in all of us that is an app that we we are born with uh, we have we have that kind of innate intelligence we need to learn how to tap into that and i had the i ha- i was blessed with this gift uh, uh, and this was encouraged and developed further by several spiritual masters during my early middle life Uh, and so my ability to think big to connect the dots to figure out this thing has a, a cause effect relationship with that thing it looks like it's unrelated but not so this, if you change this it will change that is a big cause effect uh, relationship that ability to think on a large canvas uh, multi level some of the moving parts are not even visible they are beneath the surface i got it early childhood lot of such insights through meditation the second is i so i would i would encourage young people to get into a meditation program because it will expand your mind it will make you a smarter person i mean if the americans have, have picked up indian meditation in the last 25 years and proven that you can have better athletes and you can have better mathematics and you can you can have better musicians why are we not using it as a central part so we should it's a it's a it's a remarkable thing second thing is develop a reading habit and and just be furiously reading other people's thoughts whether it's a technology whether it's a philosophy whether it's their geopolitics i wish india had a similar thing like china like usa does where they would translate all the mandarin uh, into english so that a lot of indians can be reading it right now uh, what we what the average indian thinker knows about china is very superficial what they translated into english some speech or what the americans have said about china india gets to know but india's own surveillance and understanding of china is very limited because of language and because we've never really pursued that so i would say that uh, uh, the pursuit of knowledge through reading uh, not only the technology reading and the philosophy reading uh, those are very important also the geopolitics the pragmatic reading of competitors doing what i call purva paksha which means a uh, study of the opponent purva paksha means like in competitive research in marketing that's a purva paksha you you study your competitors in marketing you study them in military you study them in politics all that is purva paksha it it's a very good system in our tradition we forgot we forgot so when the when the muslim invaders came we were not studying them to figure out who are these why are they come what is their strengths how many more will come what is the money they have what is their funding level what do they want i mean we had no theory about them we just allowed them to come next time we would just react it was like when they come we will fight but in the meantime let's not get into bad news let's think positive let's think positive that they won't come back let's think positive that bhagwan is enlighten them and they will not invade us again if they invade us then we'll worry about it that's not good enough you got to anticipate and our tradition has been like that the purva paksha is a part of our tradition that allows you to anticipate that allows you to learn from other people and improve improve your own capability 
using the best uh, examples from other people. So I would encourage Purva Paksha. So one is meditation, the other is a lot of studying and research, including the Purva Paksha study of other people. And then I think the young people to be futuristic should be courageous to do thought experiments, to do courage, uh, take risks, stick your neck out and say, okay, here's a proposal. And let people argue if they don't like it. You don't have to get personal. You don't have to abuse somebody because he came up with a proposal that was wrong. You have to be able to make mistakes. That's the only way you learn. If you do not tolerate risk, uh, risks and uh, making mistakes, and the, uh, the, the, uh, it is a calamity uh, uh, that somebody made a mistake and then you have to punish him and go after him and abuse him. If you have a, a culture like that, which is what we currently have, then people will be very safe. Everybody will be a follower. You better get a job with somebody else and then he'll tell you what to do because you, you're too afraid. Uh, that is wrong. So our, our culture, uh, if you look at our history, uh, it is a courageous people sticking their neck out, arguing, full of that. So we have to create uh, in our youth, a meditative person, well-read person, uh, people who have got debating skills, which is part of Purva Paksha capability to be able to debate opponents in an articulate way, in a very civil and courteous way. And, and these people have to be extremely strong in taking on challenges. And if the data tells you that something is not right, go, uh, accept it and you have to do something about it and not, not uh, uh, hiding in this feel good comfort zone that I don't want to get into something which is not feel good. A lot of people tell me, sir, you know, so as if my job is to feel, give him an addictive dose to make him feel good. One of the reasons China is so powerful is because they've raised two generations of youth who were told you're not going to feel good. You may feel shitty because of where, what, where we are, but you got to work hard. You got to work your ass off for the country and you are not here. We're not here to make you feel good. So when you go to China and I've been there many, many times, uh, when you go to China and you talk to people, they're tough. Emotionally, they're tough. They're able to handle uh, adversity because they've had so much adversity and they have not been asked to hide it and in, in some Bollywood or some you know, fantasy and all that. They, they are very realistic in facing adversity. Chinese are rugged, emotionally rugged, tough. That's a great asset when you're fighting yeah. long term. You can, yeah. make your, you can make your people go through a years of suffering. India, you can't do that. Plus, it's a democracy. You lose elections if you do that. If you tell people that, look, we are going to go through a period of tightening our belt, uh, in terms of how much we go do for punishment and all that, in order we can channel this so that by 2030 we can be great. Uh, if you do that to people, you lose elections. You have to tell them, you just vote for me, I'll solve all your problems right away, this, that. So that is a, so the one thing one should also ask, is democracy safe for India? I mean, emotionally, that's what I want as a free thinker. Obviously I want. But as a pragmatic guy, can we afford the luxury of so much freedom? Or do we want to say that, okay, for 10 years, let there be a government, no elections, no none of this nonsense, let it just run and build a nation. I mean, all these great nations were built like that. They had, uh, you know, look at Singapore, look at, uh, you know, Taiwan, look at China, look at, you know, Japan, they had a long history, stable, long-term, not having to fight for its own survival. That kind of uh, governance, which is given like 10 years, uh, and, and, you know, and, and assume they're all honest people, they're not going to take you for a ride. I think India needs to 
compromise on its democracy on a temporary basis, not become a dictator, but just extend the tenure of people who've been elected. Maybe, maybe coordinate all the central and state elections and by, in one election day for five years, something like that. And no, mm. no confidence motion moving this, that, tabasha, drama, all that nonsense. Just you elect it, fine. Unless you committed a crime and you can be impeached, unless that happens, five years, the guy is in place and he'll do his job. If you have five-year term, maybe 10-year term for certain things, I think it's much better. India should consider yep. that. Uh, Rajiv sir, there's so many more questions, but I know that you're in the middle of a certain kind of process that you're going through. Uh, with respect to what you told us at the beginning of the show where you had a certain procedure with your back and uh, you know what, I'm going to leave all these questions probably for the next time. So uh, I just, I feel like I've not even unearthed maybe one or 2% of everything that you have to share with us. Uh, and I guess this was much more a learning session for me for the ideas I want to put into the content I'm creating going forward. So let's just call it a day on this particular episode. And I'll allow the audience to kind of send in even more questions the next time you're coming in on the show. And we'll have a continuation of our Twitterverse round then. Even the Hindi episode, which will be around all your Vedic learnings, all your learnings about Indian culture. Uh, that's going to be something exciting. But as for this episode, sir, I hope you enjoyed it. And I hope it added some value to your life. No, no, I'm, I'm very happy. Personally, you're a good interviewer. You're a smart guy. You've got your heart in the right place. You're a thinker. Uh, uh, and you, you understand your audience and how to bring all these ideas out. I'm very happy. Uh, I would love to do many of these. Uh, in the next few days, we can schedule one every day or two. We can keep doing this. Uh, and I want to thank the audience. Their questions were very important to the point, not frivolous questions, uh, not cheap shots, but serious questions, which is what I would like. And I want yeah. you to continue raising these kind of questions because, you know, we should raise the bar and have thoughtful discussion. We should encourage more and more of our young people to be very thoughtful. And uh, not only in English, but also Hindi and you know, with different languages. Yep. I would love to be uh, part of your show on an ongoing basis. Uh, and I want to thank you for that. So thank namaste you. to all of you until we meet again. Yes. Thank you again, sir. I'm hoping to have you again, maybe for some thematic episodes the next time. So thank you for joining us on the Ranveer Show. Thank you so much. Thank you for watching. You can subscribe here and also hit the bell icon to make sure you get notified. To donate, please click this button.